Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Warning, this episode contains graphic crime scene details as well as talk of sexual assault. It may be sensitive for some listeners. Hey guys, welcome back to Primetime Crime. It's Kylie. Oh my God, the ever-evolving Rudy case. Oh my God. If you guys are sick of hearing of this, like just fast forward. I understand. I get it. It's a lot. There's not really a whole lot going on right now in the true crime world that I feel like I can talk about. So naturally, this has become the Rudy Diaries because that's just what we have to talk about because every day it is ever evolving. It never ends. It never ends. So there's been a lot that's gone down in the last few days, but I guess the most notable is that Rudy gave an interview. And he gave it to our local Fox News station. And they aired it. And it was like 24 minutes long. I don't know, give or take. But a lot of it was repetitive. A lot of it was the same. And Rudy was blurred. He said he wanted to be blurred just because his face is out there so much. And he doesn't want it to get worse. So he wanted him his face blurred. Whatever. Okay. So we're going to talk about this interview because it was wild. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what I think. I'm more confused now than I've ever been before. I don't know. Now, I do want to go into this saying that at this point, I do consider Rudy a victim. But there also has been talk of, you know, him potentially being in on this. I don't know what to think. I tend to think that he is probably more of a victim in this than anything, but it's all just way too crazy. Like there's so much, like there's so much. I don't even know. Okay. So we're going to talk about this whole interview. Okay. So it starts off by Rudy saying that he's shocked at all the attention it's gotten And he tries to put a positive spin on things for his mental health. And of course, they asked, you know, where have you been all this time? And he said, I've been at home. And, you know, when people would come over, my mom would tell me to stay in the room and keep the door locked. And there would be times that she would tell him, you need to go out back and go in the woods and just stay there until these people leave. Um. He said that he wasn't like physically held captive, but he was mentally held captive and he was allowed to come and go as he wanted, but felt like he was brainwashed. And he said after his brother died, who was like his father figure, his mom was really all he had. So she just basically controlled him and he did whatever she said. And he said that he did try to study as much online as he could and said... He wants everyone in the world to be positive and spread love and positivity. And then went on like this little rant about everything being an algorithm that is controlled via social media and through colors. And he was talking about if you look at a white wall or a white car and you're just trying to have a positive thought and it's distracting you and then you might see a pink wall and be reminded of prosperity or love or like the color red, you could think of being angry or you could think of love. Like he went off on this like tangent about colors and he talks about colors a lot in this interview. 
I don't know what the colors mean, but he talks a lot about the colors. And then he also said it felt like a Stockholm syndrome kind of situation and that his mom was a very negative person with negative thoughts and heavily took advantage of him and would always put her negative thoughts on him and has always been like that. This wasn't like a newer thing. It's like always been how she is. And then again, talked about how everything is just an algorithm and talked about the colors again and colors can confuse you again. I'm confused. And he said that he worked 12 hour shifts, seven days a week. And she only gave him $60 of what he made. Now, from what I had heard, him and his mom worked at a a legal, I mean, they're illegal because they're not like a a legal thing, a gaming room. I mean, that's not legal in Texas. It might be legal elsewhere, but it's not legal in Texas. So, you know, these people run these like illegal gaming rooms and they're always like open at night because that's when the sketchy people go out. And they worked at that place as like security, quote unquote, security. So I guess they both worked there and Rudy got paid and she would just like take his money and give him $60 a week. I don't really know. And he doesn't remember like specific details, like when everything first happened, like he never remembers like why they decided that he was going to be missing and they were going to like go forth with that thing. He doesn't really remember why. And, um, why that story was portrayed. He doesn't really know, but he said that his mom is pretty much like the one that's blocking out those details for him in his brain. And then they talked about how Fox did an interview with Janie back in 2012 and Rudy was in the hospital. And this interview is online. It is a wild time. Um, apparently like during this interview, they talk about how Rudy had cancer and, you know, she's up there, sad and emotional and uh, distraught and just being a psychopathic Janie. So they asked about that and that he supposedly had cancer. And all he said is he had a tumor on his heel, but that was not relevant to anything because all of that first started when he went to the hospital because she told him, I need you to go to the ER and just act like you're overdosing on like Tylenol PM or Advil PM or whatever. So she basically forced him to go to the ER and act sick and get admitted to the hospital for like money, attention. I don't really know. And said that this was around the time, like after his brother had passed away, he was really depressed. He was slitting his wrist, cutting his wrist, using like a torn up Coke can to slice his wrist because he didn't know what else to do. He didn't know how to feel. He didn't know how to handle his emotions. So she was like, oh, well, let's fake an overdose and get you in the hospital and get you on TV. And then we'll also throw in cancer because that's a really like powerful thing. Like your girl's been a scammer since at least 2012, probably before. And then he said that he would have to sleep in the bed with her, but there was nothing sexual or anything like that. Just that she crossed and pushed boundaries that he didn't like, but he was trying to be very clear that he never said there was anything sexual that went on. It was just like stuff that made him uncomfortable. Do with that what you may. And he said he didn't want any contact with her. And one time they were driving and Janie was like hopped up on pain medicine because she had had surgery. So Rudy took over and started driving and then was pulled over and he's pulled over and of course gives a fake name to the cops Like, I don't know how these people get away with this stuff for so, so long. Like, you get pulled over, license and registration. Like, hello? Like, come on. I don't know. I don't know how they get away with it. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. And also, I can never lie to police. Like, that would stress me the F out so much. So, then he said, we're all, like, the world, everyone, people, life is corrupted through nanobots and flu vaccines and that the colors confuse us, media confuses us. And with that, again, I am very confused. And he ends the interview. He doesn't, like I said, he doesn't want any contact with his mom. 
and he doesn't want anything to do with her. He just wants to live his life and get a job and be free and help the community and all the things. He wants to do all of the things, but not have any contact with his mother. And he just said that we need to spread more wildflowers, not wildfire, because we need more color in this world. And I am very confused by the color thing, but we're going with it. This is what Rudy has said. If he is a true victim, he has been held, quote unquote, captive for eight years by this psychopath, Janie. So God knows what this person has endured. And that is saying that he is a victim. Um, there are people on the Internet, because everyone is on the Internet, giving their opinion on this, that think that he might be like in on it. I don't know what to think. I am confused. So at this point, I just kind of wanted to talk about the interview, talk about what he said, and we're going to wrap it up in a nice little bow. And I will probably have another installment of the Rudy Diaries on Monday's episode. So we're going to go right into the episode for today. All right, guys, we're jumping into part six of the Lori Vallow Chad Daybell summer series. I can't believe we're already at part six. This is a continuation of last week's episode. I originally had it all together and then I was like, this is way too much. We have to split it up. So we're splitting it up and we are now going to pick up where we left off, which we left off with Charles, not Charles. We left off with Joe and Lori now being separated and Lori saying she wants a divorce. And that is going to lead us into the next part of our story, which is a truly, truly wild ride. So buckle up for that. And we are going to get right into it. So they're officially separated. So it's Lori and Colby and baby Tylee. And she decides to get in touch with her niece, who is Melanie, Melanie's, whatever we're calling her. And asked if she would mind flying out to Texas just to help her with the baby. And Melanie was 15 at the time. And after Stacy passed away, Melanie kind of looked to Lori as like a mother figure. And she was very much, she very much looked up to her. So Lori was a big influence to her. So of course she wanted to go down to Texas and help out with the baby and help out Lori. And you can kind of see like even to this day that, influence and impact that Lori had over Melanie and why Melanie was so heavily involved in all of the weird cult shit that we will later find out about Melanie, how much she was influenced and involved in all of the crazy. So the divorce between Lori and Joe Ryan was finalized in May of 2005, which doesn't seem like that long ago to me, but it really was. It was, it was a long time ago, but it was finalized. And one of the rulings was that Lori was going to be shared in custody of Tylee with Joe. That was part of the agreement. Joe was given visitation rights and there was a court ordered schedule that they had both agreed on. And it included like weekends and holidays and all of the normal stuff that happens when you're dealing with a custody battle. Joe was also ordered to pay Lori $1,500 a month in child support and obviously take care of medical care for Tylee until she was 18. Joe was also ordered to take out a $350,000 life insurance policy, naming Lori as the beneficiary for Tylee. And at this point, Lori was very much struggling financially. She was still living in the home that her and Joe had shared together, the one that he custom built for her and made her a hair salon in the home. She was still living there, but she was very much struggling and really struggling to pay bills. She was eventually evicted from that home. So, you know, in the back of Lori's mind, she is probably thinking, if I could get this $350,000, I would be set and I could stay in this house and have this pretty life that I've always wanted and the life that I deserve because I'm the best. You know, her wheels are turning. Knowing what we know now you know her wheels are turning and she's very obsessed with things and appearances and the way things look. And she just likes 
feeling important. So you know that her wheels are turning. Just my personal opinion, it will never be proven, but just my personal opinion, her wheels are turning at this point. And I very much think that she was the kind of person that thought money solved all of her problems. And when she had money, she was happy and all of that. And when she didn't and she was in debt, she was sad. And she just had to put on this appearance that everything was okay. So Lori was a very material girl. I can't say she is anymore because she doesn't have the luxuries that she once did. So in the midst of all of this going on with her custody battle with Joe, she meets her fourth husband, who we all know is Charles Vallow. And I'm going on record and saying that Charles is an actual saint. And I am so heartbroken that his life was taken and he got mixed up with Lori because I think out of all of the husbands, not I think, out of all of the husbands that Lori had, including Chad, Charles was the actual best. And I will stand by that forevermore. I think he was the one that really did love her and really did care for her. And he got shit for it at the end. And it's just so freaking unfair. But he again met Lori kind of the same way Joe Ryan did, going into the salon and getting his hair cut. And I guess someone else at the salon introduced them. And he was immediately smitten with Lori and just thought she was the prettiest thing ever. At the time, he was 49 years old. He was born and raised in Lake Charles, Louisiana. He was a Southern gentleman. He was in really good shape because he was a semi-professional baseball player and just an all-around good guy and really treated Lori the way that she liked. She wanted to be treated like a princess because that's what she thought she was. And this is exactly what Charles did. Now, Charles was a successful financial planner and he had a lot of money. He made good money. He was also had just come out of a divorce and custody battle. So they were very, very similar. And in there, there's an interview where Colby makes a comment aware, like, I think my mom liked Charles, but what she really liked about him was the money he made, which if we've learned anything about Lori, it's that she's a very materialistic person and she just uses people for what they can get her versus actually having a loving and caring thought about someone and having a real relationship. So Lori and Charles did move very quickly in their relationship and they were married in Las Vegas in 2006. Again, nobody from Lori's family was present. This is wedding number four and nobody has been at any of her weddings family related, which is just so freaking odd to me, especially as somebody who's a Mormon and who's so devout and who doesn't believe in divorce. I mean, you've obviously been married four times, so you have been divorced three times. Like, it's just, it's insane to me. It truly is insane. But they said that Lori was always very much that kind of person who would convince the guy that she was with that she was head over heels in love with them in order to get the guy to fall in love with her. So again, we're talking about very, very manipulative behavior and just doing what she needed to do to get what she wanted. The one thing that was different about Charles is everybody really liked him and he just wanted to make Lori happy. And that included taking in Colby and Tylee and doing what he could to help them and provide for them. And he was even very eager to convert to the LDS faith, whereas with the other relationships Lori had been in, it was very much a struggle to try to get them to even think about converting. Well, Charles was all about it and wanted to convert pretty much immediately after they got married. Like I said, Charles is easily my favorite and he did not deserve the hell that Lori put him through. And she didn't deserve him because he was way, way, way too good for her. And even though Charles had had a divorce and custody battle with his ex-wife, she never said anything bad about him. And he had two sons with her and they very much didn't want to follow in their father's footsteps as far as baseball goes. They didn't want to play baseball. They had their own interests and things that they wanted to do. But he never pushed them to do what he did and wanted them to explore and do the things that they wanted to do. And was just described as a really, really good dad. Everyone loved being around him. And Charles's ex-wife was really happy when Lori came into the picture because the ex-wife had moved on and Charles was 
pretty devastated about that when that happened. So the fact that Lori was now present and Charles is moving on, she was thrilled and happy for Charles and seemed to really like Lori, thought that Lori had her life together because she had two kids. So they thought it was going to be a perfect like meshing of two families together. And of course, because appearances are the first thing we see in someone, Charles's ex-wife thought, oh, wow, Lori's like really stunning. She's really pretty. And this is going to be a really good relationship for Charles. Now, as time went and she interacted with Lori, she soon would change her mind and realize that Lori was definitely not all that met the eye and that there was definitely more to her and not all good things. And I'm going to play a little sound clip of her describing the way that Lori presented herself. She has a good ability to um, weed out people that don't drink her Kool-Aid. And I was one of those people. I mean, we've maybe said three sentences to each other in all this time. Um, so she was, and she was not a good mother. The boys would come home and they'd tell me things and, and, you know, they were used to my household and the rules and how it was all going. And, you know, Charles was just head over heels and just didn't see what was happening or potentially happening um, with his sons and being around her. Now, the way that she describes Lori, like she has a really good way of weeding you out if you don't drink her Kool-Aid. Like if you have ever had somebody in your life that is like that, you know what it's like when you see through their bullshit and they can't manipulate and control you. You have no use to them because they can't manipulate you. So I've been there. I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to be the only one standing there and saying this person is a toxic human and everyone else is so blind to it, but that's a sixth sense, like a true sixth sense. And I can totally understand what she is saying about how Lori was, because I have met people like this and they are not good people. They're toxic and you don't want to be around them. So at this point, Lori and Charles settled into their life together. They lived in a house outside of Austin. They had a nice little blended family. He also made sure that she had a hair salon in the house so she could work from home and also made sure that she had a room with all the mirrors on the wall so she could have her dance talks with God because that's who she was. But at this point, she seemed to be really happy and she was thriving and she was wearing designer clothes and Colby was doing well. He was in elementary school. Tylee was in daycare. But because Lori is Lori, she decided that at this point in her life, when she's moved on, she's remarried, all is well. She decided to dig up the past because that's what she does. And in 2006, she filed a complaint against her ex-husband, Joe Ryan, and said that he had sexually assaulted Colby and Tylee. So literally at the same time that this is going on, she's now in this custody battle for Tylee with Joe and Charles's ex-wife doesn't want her two children going to that house anymore because Lori is batshit crazy. So they're literally both in custody battles simultaneously at the same time in front of the same judge. So at one point, the judge is like, let's just combine these two cases and look at it together. What a wild time. So the sexual abuse claims that came from Lori against Joe Ryan are were found to be not true. However, I will say that to this day, Colby does claim that Joe Ryan sexually abused him. Tylee said that that was not true. But again, we're dealing with a lot of like really toxic individuals. You really don't know what's true and what's not, what's been put in people's heads by certain people. It is a very convoluted web. So let's go ahead and just carry on with this crazy convoluted web. So at one point, as all of this custody battle is going on, Lori had told a social worker that when she was still married to Joe, she found some gay porn sites on his computer. And Lori said, I didn't realize that he was into men, whatever. I don't know if that's true or not. But when they came at him with these claims, he immediately hired a lawyer and then filed his own motion and stated that Lori had violated their custody agreement when it came to Tylee and said that 
she had already violated the agreement when she moved in with Charles because in the agreement, they were supposed to stay within 100 miles of where Joe was living. And moving in with Charles, she had broken this. So during all of this, Tylee is in therapy. And again, going through this custody battle, there's been child abuse claims. So she's also talking to these child abuse experts. So she had told her therapist things about her father assaulting her, as well as at the same time, she's talking to these child abuse experts and she's not saying any of these things. She's saying that he never did anything to her. So she would sometimes talk to her therapist about it and then eventually would go back on these claims. And again, Tylee was young when all of this was going on. So again, a girl that is super young and God knows what she's hearing from her mom, um, just saying. So Tylee at one point had said that Joe was her old daddy and that Charles was her new daddy. And Tylee had said that she was told this by Colby and Charles and they told her to say bad things about her old daddy, Joe. So all of that is going on. Lori was still saying to this counselor that she believed that Tylee was her dead sister, Stacy, and would like talk to her like she was her dead sister, Stacy. Again, Tylee is young. She's like three years old at this point. And for whatever reason, like that to me is a red flag. If you're a professional working in a counselor, social worker setting and some crazy woman says, yeah, I believe that my daughter is the reincarnation of my dead sister. I feel like as a healthcare professional, I would be like red flag, like my. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My ears would perk up and I'd be like, that's odd. But for whatever reason, Lori was able to tell people this and people would just kind of like go along with it because she was charming and she was very devout. So people just believe that she was just like a super religious person and, oh, she believes in reincarnation and nobody ever questioned anything she said. And she also made a comment about how she was talking to a ghost who was a lawyer and he was giving her, or she, I don't know if it was a male or female ghost, but they were giving her legal advice. Like, what? I'm sorry. I believe in the afterlife just as much as the next guy. But if some woman tells me that she's talking to a ghost who's a lawyer and they're giving her legal advice, like, I'm going to question some things, like, seriously. So the therapist had noted that at several several different times that she had noted that she thought that Lori was coaching Tylee about what to say about Joe Ryan. So let's flash forward to May 2007. They are at a courthouse for a custody hearing. Joe and Lori, they had taken a recess. They both went to the cafeteria and Joe had walked by Lori in the cafeteria and Lori started screaming and said that Joe had hit her, which obviously was not true, but he was arrested on the spot because Lori made this big scene. Now, Joe, Joe's lawyer was there at the time and said that it was made up just to make Joe look bad and get Joe in trouble. Anything she could do to torture this man and put him through hell while he was trying to fight to see his daughter, she was going to do that. And at this point, it had been months. We're like on nine months that Joe has not seen his daughter. So yeah, if he's pissed off and livid and bumps into you, you freaking deserve it. And again, like I know that Joe was abusive to Lori, allegedly abusive to Colby and allegedly abusive to Tylee, although I don't believe that part to be true. We don't have any evidence of the abuse towards Colby other than Colby's word. I'm not saying his word doesn't matter, but I just take everything with a grain of salt. So Joe might not have been the greatest person in the world, but he seems like he was a good father to Tylee. So he's being put through hell from, you know, with everything that Lori is doing. So 
in July, the findings from the sex offender report that was done on Joe said that Joe posed no threat to Tylee and said that it was in Tylee's best interest to be reunited with her dad. At this point, it had been almost a year that they had been separated. Now, the psychologist who prepared the report said that she was concerned about how Lori would react to this news and said that Mrs. Vallow is a devout Mormon who mentioned that death would be an option before giving Tylee back to her father, even for a visit. These are real and serious concerns. And also said, I have no way of knowing in this, if Miss Vallow is serious or not. Well, unfortunately she was serious and holy crap. Like the things that you're finding out, like that we're finding out about Lori that preceded all of this craziness it just goes to show you what kind of person we're dealing with. The fact that it took this long for her to be held accountable for anything is both astonishing and scary to me. And I don't even have words. Like, I don't even have words. And we're going to see in the next part of the story where Alex swoops in to save the day. And again, it's basically exactly what happened like to get us where we're here where we're at here now the same thing happened way back then with alex being her scapegoat and doing all of the dirty work for her we're going to get into that next but it's just so wild to me that this all is evolving the way it's evolving and i'm going to go ahead and play a clip of something that Lori had said in relation to Joe Ryan and how she could see herself killing him. And then we're going to go into the Alex of it all. There's a turning point in my life that turned me to the temple. <laughs> I had been married to someone who was very awful, who raped my children, and I was going to murder him. I just thought I couldn't take it anymore. So I went and met my bishop, and I was like, I'm either going to turn my life to the temple, or I'm going to commit murder. And I was perfectly honest, because at that point, I had nothing to lose. I just wanted to stop the bleeding and stop the pain. Now, I don't know about you guys, but knowing what we know now, I mean, Joe Ryan passed away from a cardiac arrest but knowing what we know now, those words, hearing her say those words are so, so chilling and very disturbing, quite honestly, that this is something that wasn't, like I said, it didn't start with Chad. It is something that I think plagued her for a long time. And she had this way of manipulating and kind of putting a religious spin on it to make it seem like it's just the devil doing the devil's work and I'm trying to get on the right side of it. And it's just very interesting when you look at the big picture. So Lori is in this vicious battle with Joe Ryan at this point still. But at this point in time, the court decided that they were going to let Tylee have visitation with Joe and he hadn't seen her in a while so this was a big deal for joe so doing what Lori does she gets her brother involved and this is kind of where it all kind of starts to come together so alex was very close with Lori, almost to the point where he seemed obsessed with her and would do anything for her in 2007, Alex was 30 years old. He was living in Phoenix, Arizona. He emptied porta potties by day and he was a stand up comedian by night. I don't know who told him he was funny, but he was apparently funny. And there was a woman that he had befriended um, during his comedy years named Mary Tracy. And she was another comedian and they would often have sets at the same places. So they just became really, really good friends. And it ended up, they ended up being like best friends and they were very close. But she always said anytime she would talk with Alex, it was really hard for her to know if he was being serious about something or if he was joking, because everything he said kind of had a 
joking tone to it. So she never really knew when he was being serious in situations and did say that she might have missed some like important signs of things because she just took it as a joke. And she knew that he and Lori were close and that he would literally drop anything to do something for Lori. Now, around this time, Lori had kept Alex updated on everything that was going on with Joe Ryan. And Lori basically hyped him up and was just saying, Joe is molesting the kids. He's a terrible person. He's the actual worst. And even got to the point where Alex had talked to Mary about this scenario and even asked Mary to call CPS and report Joe. And Mary, being a level-headed human, was like, I don't even know this person. I don't even live where he lives. I'm not going to insert myself in a situation when I don't know what's going on. And good for Mary because there's a lot of stories and scenarios I've heard. I've listened to podcasts on where literally someone tells someone else something and they run with it. And before you know it, they're getting CPS involved in a situation that's not even appropriate for CPS to be involved. So always stay in your lane in those situations. Learn from Mary. She did the right thing. So in August of 2007, Alex told Mary that he was going on a trip to Texas to handle a family matter, which that family matter was to basically tase Joe Ryan. So on August 5th of 2007, Joe finally had the opportunity to visit with Tylee and they were at a kids exchange facility where he spent two hours with Tylee and then he signed out of the facility and went back to his car. So on the way back to his car, he noticed that there was this man standing at a picnic table and he approached Joe and said, hey man, we need to talk. And Joe was like, who are you? And Alex was like, you know exactly who I am. And then at this point, Joe realized, oh, crap, that's Alex. Like, that's Lori's brother. And Joe was like, we have nothing to talk about and tried to walk away. Now, there was a woman sitting at the picnic table as well. And Joe even said, hey, this is my ex-brother-in-law. Him and my sister are up to some shady shit. Can you please be a witness for me? And she said, yeah, sure. So after this, Alex said, you know what you did. This is for my nephew and tased Joe in the shoulder. Joe ran, like not realizing what had gone on. And Alex tased him again in the back, which caused him to fall. And then he got up and he ran again. And at this point, Joe called out to somebody, hey, can you please call the cops? Now, once Alex saw that Joe had gotten the attention of this other man, Alex stopped chasing him and went to walk back towards the parking lot to his car. And it would later come out that Lori and Tylee were in the vehicle in Alex's car watching this all go down. Like, that is how heartless Lori is to put her child in a situation where she is making her watch her uncle attack her father. Lori is not a good person and she's never been a good person, in my opinion. I know other people's opinions vary, but this is not something that a good person does. And we can argue back and forth all day if Joe Ryan did sexually molest his children or sexually molest Tylee and Colby, but there have been multiple investigations done, and that was never found to be true. So Lori is a piece of shit, and we're going to stick with it. Lori is a piece of shit. So when cops arrived, they found that Joe had two holes in his shirt, and Joe at this point said, I am afraid of what Lori and Alex are going to do to me because Lori had at some point stated that she would rather have death than have another visit, have him have another visit with Tylee. And he didn't really know what that meant. He didn't know if that meant she was going to kill him. She was going like, to kill herself and her daughter. Like, he didn't really know what that meant. 
but he said the whole family is not stable. And that's meaning like Alex and Lori. So next day, Joe was having chest pain. So he goes to the ER and that's when they discovered that he had a fractured wrist from when he had fallen after being tased. Now, from this point forward, Joe continues to have heart problems. And I can imagine being tased is not an enjoyable moment, but also being harassed by some psychopathic weirdo that you used to be married to his sister. Like, that's got to stress a man out, too. Like, this is what I mean when I say Lori put Joe Ryan through hell. She actually put him through hell. So Alex was arrested in 2008 and was charged with assault with a deadly weapon. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 90 days in jail. And at this point, Alex didn't think that he did anything wrong because he just avenged his sister and her children. And this pedophile is out walking around and he's behind bars and it's just not right. He had even made comments about getting Joe's picture and bringing it to the jail so he could like tell his jail buddies, show his jail buddies who Joe was so they could get revenge. I mean, basically he's playing it up like he is a pedophile. And that's what Lori told him. Lori gassed him up so much, even while he was in jail. Like, can you believe that you're sitting behind bars and Joe the pedophile is out walking around? Lori gassed him the hell up so he would be angry And he would always still believe this narrative that Joe had molested the kids, even though it had been found that those weren't accurate claims. And he always said he would do it all over again. So as soon as he got out of jail, he went back to his comedy shenanigans and he even turned the assault of Joe Ryan into a comedy bit believe it or not. And I'm going to play a clip for you guys that he did shortly after he got out of prison. My name is Alex Cox and I was in the eighth grade. I actually learned that my real name was also my porn star name. I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to do a little jail time last year. I'll confess to you guys. You ever had something that you knew was the right thing to do, but it turns out that later on it was a felony? (laughs) This is a true story. Let me just say that that's not funny. I don't know why people are laughing. I don't know why anyone ever thought Alex was funny. He is not funny in my opinion. But that whole little bit there, like looking back, knowing what we know now, like there were signs all over, all over. Alex was doing dirty shit for Lori back in 2008. And Fast forward freaking 12 years later and he is killing everyone else that surrounds her because she doesn't want them around because they're a quote unquote zombie. Oh my gosh. This is the most insane story. I swear. It is like right out of a lifetime movie Hollywood script. So after this happened, Lori is still bringing or supposed to be bringing Tylee to her visits with Joe. And these are supervised visits. There's a social worker who is on the visits with Joe and Tylee. They're not left alone. So in January of 2008, Lori did not bring Tylee to her scheduled visit. But in February, she did bring her. But they went to leave. Joe went to leave with Tylee and the supervisor And Joe noticed that they were being followed by two pickup trucks. He called the cops and told them what was going on. And they told him, go ahead and go to a public place and we will meet you there. We'll have officers meet you there. So they did that. And Joe had, you know, interactions with the cops and the truck sat there and watched the whole time. And they got like the license plate numbers and all. And then they escorted Joe and Tylee back to his house and then... They spent some time together there, and then the cops came back and escorted them back to the kids' exchange, just making sure that everything was okay. 
And at this point, Joe said that he received some anonymous phone calls warning him not to show up anymore to see see Tylee. And at this point, the social worker was really concerned about the impact that all of this was having on Tylee. And she said when everything went down with the trucks following them, Tylee had no reaction at all. And she, at this point, thought Tylee was suffering from repressed anxiety. Tylee, at this point, is five. So she's old enough to kind of know what's going on. And basically, she was used to the adults in her life being upset and angry and cops always being around. And this was just normal for her. And the social worker uh, quoted, her father was visibly shaken. Tylee had no emotional reaction at all, as if it was as if nothing was happening, end quote. In August of 2008, they were scheduled to do a sleepover. So Tylee was going to be staying the night at Joe Ryan's house and the supervisor was present for this whole thing. She was going to be staying there as well. And when she got there, when Tylee got there, the supervisor went through Tylee's overnight bag and found, oddly enough, a baby diaper, a baby blanket and two toy guns. Why are you packing a diaper for your five-year-old? Why are you packing toy guns? Because she didn't play with toy guns. It's just weird. And when Tylee first got there, the supervisor had noticed that Tylee was walking around the home and taking pictures of everything in Joe's home. And the supervisor asked why. And she said, well, my mom told me to. So this is a child that was manipulated pretty much from the start. She was used as a pawn and she was manipulated in her mom's craziness like this is how this poor girl grew up it's amazing that tylee grew up i think tylee grew up to be a very well-adjusted teenager despite all the bad that happened in her life and despite all the crazy things that she was put through i think tylee grew up to be a very like well-spoken well-adjusted teenager surprisingly under Lori's rule she grew up semi-normal at least that's how it looked all right, so back to the story. In September of 2008, Lori and Charles decided to pack up and move from Texas to Chandler, Arizona. And Charles's ex-wife was really surprised by this because he had just fought so hard to get custody or partial custody of his sons. And then all of a sudden was packing up and moving to Arizona, which is far from Texas. And it was just surprising. But the reason that they gave was that Charles, of course, was away a lot on work and Lori would be by herself. So if they moved to Chandler, she would be closer to where Alex was living in Phoenix and he she would be able to have that company. And once they moved to Chandler, all was going really well. Col Colby had started school and he had some friends and Tylee was attending a charter school and at that school, she could really use some of her talent. She was a really good singer and enjoyed all of that. So once in Chandler, Lori and Charles became very well respected in the community and they were heavily involved in the LDS church. Joe, of course, was super upset because now he would have to travel to see Tylee and he had just gotten this visitation like pretty recently and was now going to have to travel from Texas to Arizona to see his daughter. And Joe started to spiral. Joe started drinking heavily. He had anxiety. He was depressed and he was having health issues. Basically, everything was crumbling and Lori really didn't care and just made it worse for him and pushed harder against him. On July 26th of 2009, he flew from Texas to Arizona to see Tylee and during a handoff with Lori, got into an argument with her. And basically, she picked the argument just to make him look bad. And he ended up calling the cops and said that Lori was disturbing Tylee's peace. And there was no reason for her to pick this fight. He just wanted to see his daughter. And then a week later, he ended up going back to Arizona to see Tylee. But Lori just never showed up. So he flew back home. And Lori had violated in that year the terms, no less terms of the um, custody agreement, no less than seven times and was definitely on a mission to make sure that Joe never saw his daughter again. So at this point, Joe was tired of it and he decided he was going to move to Phoenix. And when he moved to Phoenix, 
I think I saw that he took like a 40% pay cut. So I don't know if Joe was the greatest guy on earth. He had anger issues. There was definitely some issues that they had in their marriage. But I do think that Joe loved his kids. And I think that he, his main focus in life, especially in the last years, was trying to be around his daughter. Anyone that's going to take a 40% pay cut and leave their state and their home to be closer to their daughter and be closer to this psycho bitch, Lori, who is trying to make his life miserable. Like he actually does care. So he very much struggled financially. And in the summer of 2011, he tried to reason with Lori over email. And he said, quote, Tylee is worth everything. She is smart and talented and beautiful. And I'm not sure what your intentions are. You are only hurting Tylee. And I hope you will find it in you to sacrifice for your daughter and do the right thing, end quote. And as we know, Lori will never, ever, ever do the right thing and sacrifice anything because she is way too self-centered and too self-involved and 0% self-aware. She doesn't even care enough about her children to do what's right. So there's no way in hell that she was going to sacrifice shit because she's not a good person. So with all of that being said, this episode went long and we still have way more to cover because it is a never ending story. So we're going to end there for this part. And next week, we're going to pick up with Lori and Charles adopting JJ because he is a very important part of the story. And he is one of the victims and he deserves recognition and he deserves to have a story told. So that's what we're going to dive into next week. And I am going to read Chad's book in preparation for the Chad episode. Um, I'm not happy about having to read his book. I'm trying to find it somewhere where I do not have to pay for it because I refuse to pay for it or at least be able to find like inserts and stuff. But I'm going to read Chad's book. I'm going to hate myself every minute of it. But I'm going to do it. I'm doing it for the podcast, doing it for the summer series. But um, it will be a miserable moment. So I just wanted to let you guys know that's how much I love you guys. I'm going to actually read Chad Daybell's book. So that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Circle back around next week for the next part of this crazy summer series. And I will chat with you guys then. Bye.